one of them they added at the adult outpatient center was one called Lyrica, in addition to the antipsychotics and antidepressants when I was about 19. But um, when I got was 21, I got very, very sick. Uh, willy and erections stopped working properly and didn't like have any reaction around women just um, and I couldn't feel it and it didn't really work and um, he uh, said um, it's probably the medications causing it we know about this you know come off them everything will go back to normal no problem I looked up some of these medications on the internet and it says they don't know how it works even the drug companies don't know how it works but they don't know exactly how or why and then I just was in absolute fear just realizing for the first time how little these experts and psychiatrists actually knew I mean I was 21 and it was doing that to just doing that to my dick was enough for me and then I just found out they didn't know what they were prescribing and how these drugs work in the first place I thought they're experts that was just scary do anything other than I wasn't going to keep taking them <laughs> they were making my dick go numb and not work the anxiety on withdrawal was so much I it was really hard to function um, there, some people refer to these kind of full body electric shock sensations when you're withdrawing brain zaps no way I was going to keep taking them and they didn't know what they were prescribing they didn't know how the drugs work or what they do I was realizing this for the first time then it was right like why did they do this to me? Who done it to me? There's no reason for it other than bank balances of pharmaceutical companies and I don't know, the careers that are set up to just have a shroud of misinformation and secrecy. Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the US, killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds ME as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson host of Medical Error Interviews, and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution, some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello humanity, I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. Now we have all probably heard or read about how antidepressants can cause sexual dysfunction such as decreased libido, erectile dysfunction, decreased response to sexual stimuli, and delayed or absent orgasm. Given how widespread the use of antidepressants are, you may have personal experience with an antidepressant affecting your sexual function. What you may not know is that research consistently finds that sexual dysfunction continues in the majority of people 
even after they stop taking the medication. This is known as post-SSRI sexual dysfunction, or PSSD. Less frequently, another form of sexual dysfunction may continue to manifest even after discontinuation of the medication. This is called persistent genital arousal disorder, or PGAD. This is essentially the opposite of PSSD, with PGAD causing a relentless sense of arousal and discomfort in the genitals, but without any accompanying feeling of desire. So this is what can happen to adults. What happens when children are given antidepressants right through their puberty? How does it affect their sexual function? In this episode, I interview Daryl Brown about his experience with the mental health care system when he started to be medicated with antidepressants when he was nine years old, even though he wasn't depressed, and medicated with antipsychotics even though he wasn't having psychosis. Daryl shares how it has affected his sexual function and by extension his sense of self and his intimate relationships. And Daryl asks the tough questions of the medical system. How could he, a mere child, have been given multiple medications for over a decade that provided no benefit and only harm? And how is it that doctors continue to deny antidepressants can cause sexual dysfunction after they've been discontinued in spite of research and in spite of patient reports confirming the harm? If you would like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Podbean, iTunes, Spotify. You can also leave a kind comment. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast. Go to patreon.com slash medical error interviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Have you had your own experience with medical error? Does it continue to impact you today? Or are you living with a complex chronic illness? And do you need the support of an experienced counselor? You can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com. Now, here is my interview with Daryl Brown and a note of caution that some people may be impacted by Daryl's experience with the healthcare system. Great. Thanks, Daryl. So uh, you're probably aware that I like to chat with people in chronological order because that allows my wee tiny brain to sort of keep on the path of what a person's narrative is. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? I grew up um, in a nice uh, place, suburb of London. Uh, I have two good parents and um they're not together but they're good they're very good parents i couldn't be luckier is that there was a mix of nature and also it's not isolated it's um, still in london so there's um 
there's plenty of things around as well. And um, do you have any siblings? Um, I do. I've got um, one older and two younger um, ones. I missed out a lot of time through um, the, mental, the mental health system, um, being in mental hospitals and um, my behavior changing on the psychiatric drugs and um, going to different special needs schools very far away from my community. Oh, okay. So <laughs> let's unpack that a bit. So you started to have health problems as a child. How old were you when they started to appear? I'm not sh sure. Um, I've always, well, actually from a baby, some of the um, phobias and some movements that I have um, um, has started appearing like from <laughs> from a baby apparently um my brother always noticed um he he or maybe i don't know which point but he noticed that i had like weird uh, movements and he was saying telling people that i had Tourette syndrome long before i was ever in the mental health system and um but it got really bad when i was about nine years old um just the um, symptoms of OCD and Tourette syndrome just got really, really bad. Um, it would just completely disabled me. Um, at that point, it was extremely bad. Uh, so you said uh, OCD and Tourette syndrome. Hmm. Uh, for folks who aren't familiar, what does OCD stand for, and what is that condition, and what is Tourette syndrome? Um, OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder, but um, in my world, I I was constantly turning round and round and round in circles. I was counting um, everything had to be touched and counted and done in a certain order. Every step had to be done in the, um, a certain way, um, and for no reason I'd have to do things over and over again and sometimes those things if things if it didn't feel like it went right um walking around the wrong the 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 way I had planned or um and then I had to just do it over and over again and it could got um when it got really bad it was life consuming that's prob that might be part of the basis of it but it's um I don't know, I lost a lot of sleep worrying. Apparently worrying is a common feature. Um, I, don't, I don't know too much um, how to explain it completely, but that's how me, uh, so, and phobias and stuff, just, uh, yeah. It sounds like there's uh, sort of two conflicting experiences going on with that. On the one hand, there's some sort of comfort and safety when you do things in a particular way correctly. And at the same time, it's very frustrating that you have to do things in a particular way, the right way. Yeah. Yeah. It got very, very frustrating when it was really bad, but, um, um, uh, I guess like it could be, um, a comforting part of myself. Uh, yeah, it, it can definitely get out of control. So it got really bad when you're about nine or 10. 
and the Tourette syndrome. What is that and how did you experience that? Um, a lot of, um, of tiring when it gets bad, very bad, tiring, like arm movements and leg movements and constantly bits of my body are moving, like my toes, my feet, my hands, even if people can't see my, um, my head, um, uh, and which, which can get very tiring when it's really bad. And, um, um, also clearing my kind of like weird noise of my throat. That, um, I guess you could describe it something like clearing it throat, but it's, it's, um, yeah, some kind of weird throat noise. So it sounds very much like a whole bunch of neurological symptoms. Yeah. Those are called ticks. Um, the movements are called, uh, motor ticks and, the uh, noises are called vocal ticks. That's how they're defined by that measure. Anyway, that sounds like really stressful to have to live with, especially as a kid. When it got really bad, it, it was, but, um, it's, uh, it's never been really too much of a problem. It's just a normal part of my life. And only when it is at the extremes, is it really for me? Otherwise I don't mind it really. <laughs> that might sound strange other, <laughs> other people might <laughs> well, I guess it's been with you for so long it just feels like it's part of you yeah yeah exactly it's, it's inseparable I don't it doesn't it doesn't interfere with too much <laughs> so when you're having these symptoms and they intensified what was the medical establishment saying and what was how was your family reacting the timeline was i'm not sure i was i remember at school um i was pushed a bit with some of the pho phobias I, I had and i know that a lot of the other kids when i was at school were shouted at and i was um i couldn't draw in between the lines and i was just like from an early age um i was constantly being punished and i was got quite scared at points because the way that other children were shouted at as well that um um and then there was i think that kind of it got to a point i if I, I think this is before i went into the mental health system but um is i think it was before then that um specifically doing my phobias as well that i was pushed hard on that and i tried to just pull through it and i did but it was just extremely difficult and um and um, I just, I think I just couldn't really play ball by then. I just started to get really stressed. And um, I think it made everything else just a lot worse. And then I ran away from school. And then like, I was, I, I don't know. I think I, it, into, it got really bad and I, I, it was difficult to, I think, I think maybe the OCD and Tourette syndrome, um, was getting like interfering with my ability to maybe get dressed and go to school or something. Um, and then it was late and then my mom had another, um, my brother as well to try and get to school. And so, um, I think it was just quite stressful and she had to go to work. And, um, I think at that point, um, it just started getting really bad. And then, um, the, so she, 
obviously called the doctors and the local GP, local doctor came round or I visited the local doctor or the um, child psychiatrist came round and stuff like that. And yeah, started so prescribing drugs. <laughs> oh, they started prescribing drugs. Okay. At that point, yeah. Um, and so you were nine or ten years old? Yeah, about nine, yeah. So... And I think that's what we really want to talk about is was your exposure to psychiatric drugs. So take us on that journey. That was the first time the um I remember it as the local doctor coming round, but um mom says it was the a child psychiatrist that came round and she brought had with her a bright orange liquid and she was convinced that I had OCD, I think. Um, um, but other things needed to be diagnosed. Um, but she would, um, but she had a suspicion about the OCD anyway, at, at least. And then she, she brought around these, um, a bottle of bright orange liquid. She thought that was the right thing to do. Um, and I was supposed to start taking that. So I did start taking it. Um, it was very sugary and it glue in the glowed in the dark. That was an SSRI. Oh, so this orange liquid drink was an SSRI. Yeah. Otherwise a, a type of antidepressant, but I didn't have depression or anything like that. Uh, so right off the bat you were given the wrong medication for your illnesses well nice the um, medical place for uh, the medical guidance says the um, antidepressants are the standard treatment for OCD as okay. well <laughs> okay yeah well I've, I've heard of the work of nice and how wrong they can be. So what was your experience with this orange liquid, which was an SSRI? I don't remember exactly um, at first. Um, uh, maybe I got put on a little bit of, of weight. Maybe I got a bit more tired. I can't remember that, that clearly about the effects of it. I remember it was really sugary, so I had no problems taking it. I would have quite happily taken a lot more probably. <laughs> Tasted very nice <laughs> and was a nice color too. Did it help with your symptoms? No, not, not that I remember, no. <laughs> and then what happened next in terms of treatment? Um, then I think maybe I hadn't been a at school for a little while and I was very different and very um, as I would say sick compared to other children so then I went to um, visit round a child mental hospital they said I needed to come in straight away and that was a diagnostic child mental hospital so the people would be there for roughly a year and they'd be watched by cameras and all the people working there and psychiatrists and psychologists and every, um, everything in between. And there, there was a school there too, so I could still get like some version of education. And they, um, they put me on antipsychotics as well for the Tourette syndrome, which is also the, I think, the nice and the standard guideline and what they do for Tourette syndrome as well. They just put you on antipsychotics for that. 
So I was on antidepressants for the OCD and antipsychotics for the Tourette's syndrome. But I never, yeah. I didn't have psychosis either. Yeah, no depression, no psychosis, but they gave you those medications. And did the antipsychotics have any benefit to your symptoms? No, it just made my uh, movements, uh, made me even more tired and more tiring to carry out than before. It didn't stop them. It just made it even more tiring on my overload on my body and more um, upsetting. So as you uh, continued to get sicker in spite of their treatment, uh, how did they react? I'm not sure. Uh, I remember after being there for a few months, I think my symptoms started to die down a little bit because I, um, I think some normality had returned in the environment a bit. I was around other children. Yeah, so so it, it after a few months, I think it started to die down a, a bit. Obviously, it didn't go away, but it just had died down a bit. But it was nothing to do with the drugs that I was on. Um, I did get used to the symptoms of the side effects of the drugs. So my body started acclimatizing to the antipsychotics. So I started to feel less tired. My body started acclimatizing to you know the mixture of antipsychotics and antidepressants, but. Um, I put on a lot, a lot of weight. I, 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 I mean, it's impossible for me to put on weight. I've never ever been able to put on weight, but um, I put on a lot of weight, um, and then I, I became. I started getting cravings, and my behaviour changed. I never really had a problem with my behaviour, but I didn't feel in control of my actions. I just felt like my emotions were all over the place. One minute I'd be, which was not like me. I'd be uh, crying one minute and um, angry the next. And um, I was just arguing with everyone. And I was like, I, can't even, I don't even know why I'm arguing with everyone. I can't seem to stop myself. It must have been very frightening. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember. Yeah, I think it was. It was very confusing, of, um, frightening type of confusing. Yeah. And... Uh, so then what happened on your health journey? I left um, after nine months, they diagnosed me with OCD and Tourette syndrome, like for sure. And then, um, they, then I had a statement of special educational needs. So they recommended that I went to a special needs school instead of an ordinary school. Um, but there were no, the beginning of the year of secondary school had just started. So I'd missed, um, I'd missed the time. So um, the beginning time. So it was a nightmare trying to find a school place. Anyway, there's not, there's not very many special needs schools around anyway. Um, but eventually I found one very far away. So I was then not um, part of my community either. I continued treatment at, um, a center, a specialist center for OCD and Tourette syndrome in uh, children or adolescents in South London. But that was also very far away from where I lived and I had to go to school and then there and it was just too too much to do deal with all that traveling and everything else and it was stressful and, and I wouldn't necessarily say there's really any treatments um, necessarily. 
Um, the medication is always the same. They expect you to take medications for your for OCD and Tourette syndrome, the antipsychotic antidepressants. They don't expect you to come off them. There's no plans. There was no plans come off them. Um, it's expected that you just take them for these things that are wrong with you, and no questions are asked. So that's what continued to happen. Geez, you know, people that are listening, and me myself. That sounds like really hard to have to, when you're so sick, have to go and live away at a hospital for upwards of a year and then move to another community. Um, so being away from the family, like that's a huge thing to have to adjust to and deal with as a sick child. Yeah, um, obviously I, if I was strange to the other children in the community before, I was a lot more strange after I was removed from the community. <laughs> I was a lot more strange then. Right. Um, so you, so, you were uh, always sort of uh, an outsider. Yeah, and then the, like the, any, like, obviously I get teased in the street. Um, people, people didn't know me anymore anyway, let alone like the weird to Tourette syndrome and OCD symptoms I had. People didn't know me. I wasn't a part of, um, so I became even stranger <laughs> and, and, and tease even more. Not that, not that that was like the worst bullying in the world or anything. I really missed out on uh, anything in the community. I didn't have like a social life or a childhood. I really wanted to do, I wanted to do, I was a norm, normal, intelligent child the way I saw it. And I just wanted to do everything everyone else was doing. But I did miss out on all of that. That was, we did get to go home at weekends. Um, and yeah, the, the outpatient day unit, that was just after school. Um, that was throughout secondary school um, until I just like couldn't really do the traveling anymore. It, it helped a bit with, maybe it helped a bit with uh, some of the phobias that I have. There didn't seem to be any great plan or I, I, I don't know, I didn't really, I don't think it really changes the world or anything. I don't really believe in changes like that, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So you said that the travel became too much for you. So it sounds like you stopped uh, doing the South London thing. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the secondary school, the day, day center, day um, outpatient day center, I stopped. I stopped going after maybe I don't know maybe two years or something. But they didn't. There was no plan to come off of those medications. Um, there was sometimes there was promises. One day in the future, if you're better or if our treatment miraculously works, then um, you get to come off of them one day maybe. But there was no plan to come off of them in reality. There was no realistic plan. Even when I stopped going, um, they didn't say, oh, well, you better come off them then. And so it sounds like you moved back home with your family? Yeah, when but I was visiting the outpatient day um, centre, I was living with my family. But school was very far away as well. So by the I left in the morning in the dark and I got home in the dark quite late as well. And so how long did you continue on these medications for? Until um, I was um, living on my own when I was 21. Okay, um, so fill in some of the space there. What did you do? What was going on in your life during that period of time? 
I'd had some seizures from the medications, a couple of seizures and passed out a couple of times, but I didn't know it was to do with the medications because that was just such a normal part of my routine that if, I don't know, if anything strange happened like that, I wouldn't, no one would think that was the medications necessarily. Uh, but I got back to when I started the secondary school, even though it's a, a special needs secondary school, people had all different kinds of problems. Everyone was just chucked in the same basket. But, um, I played football there, so I started to lose the weight from the medications, even though I was still on them. I started playing football again. I started to lose the weight. It was very hard to run around because I was like wheezing because the medications would struggle to breathe properly when I'm doing exercise when I was on them. For some reason, but I just pushed for it mostly, and I lost the I lost the weight again and was playing football again, which was nice in the short bits of time I could went on holiday with my family but because I was so my behavior was so changed by the drugs uh, medications I was just arguing so much and I wasn't the same person and um, their only explanation was you know he's got mental illness and, uh, so I kind of lost um, relationship and contact with my siblings and um, family somewhat as well how has that played out over the years? Well, I, mean, I, I missed out a lot on knowing my siblings, um, affected that quite a bit. And because it was one of the side effects, which I didn't really know about the medications was um, it blunted my, I would just do things and I wouldn't really think about them. So impulsively, I would like, I would try to run into a car once um, it broke, it broke, it put its brakes on just in time. I was just angry. I didn't, I like, but I know since coming off of them and before then that that is not something I would do. Um, and I also took all the pills when I was upset once. I just like took them all in one go and the fire and I, then I locked myself um, in my brother's room, which I would never do. But then the fireman, um, fireman had, or I don't know, someone came up, was kicking the door into my back to like, you know, cause I'd taken all the, all of the pills, but I wasn't thinking about, uh, I wasn't thinking about ending my life. I just did it out of, which I wouldn't do now. Um, remember that happening during, during that period. Wow, Daryl, you have really gone through and survived uh, a lot of challenges, I'll say, as an understatement. Um, I wish I did survive it, but um, when I got was 21, I got very, very sick. Only really when, this, when my uh, willy and erections stopped working properly, and didn't like have any reaction around women just um and i couldn't feel it and it didn't really work um erotically anymore i was which is just like a normal part of my life like i have adult um normal young teenage or adult young adult male has like an erection all throughout the day like 20 times a day kind of thing 30 times a day throughout the day so at that young age youngish age to know like to have that happening was very scary. I didn't know what was going going on. Then I looked at the leaflets um, and the medications and I was like, um, I saw that somewhere far down. So I went back to the, the psychiatrist and um, he uh, said that um, it's probably the medications causing it. We know about this. 
you know, come off them, everything will go back to normal, no problem. But you have to get a blood test to like make sure this is what's going on. So I went to get a blood test and my prolactin was through the roof. I think they said it's relatively normal, except mine was probably quite a lot higher than others. And it wouldn't go down for a long time. And they thought that's impossible. Your prolactin, no one's prolactin stays high for this long. Um, so they were thinking maybe it's a brain tumor instead, maybe it's a malignant brain tumor, although they weren't very clear. They just left me thinking I had a brain tumor and how long have I got left to live in the five second doctor's appointment. So I went out of there thinking, how come I'm still alive? How long have I got left to live? But, um, uh, they didn't really explain that most of them are malignant tumors anyway, but it wasn't a brain tumor. Um, <laughs> and then my prolactin went back to normal. Then my thyroid levels went messed up. But nonetheless, I'd come off the medications. Then my blood tests about at some point went back to normal on the blood tests, apparently. But um, obviously, a lot of the symptoms didn't didn't go away. Um, the, my my willy never went back to normal at all. And they just kept fobbing me off saying, oh, sometimes it's a couple of weeks, sometimes it's a few months. Before they just, then, then all medical people I saw said, that's just impossible. The drug has completely left, your, completely left your system and it's nothing to do with us. And then they tried to say I had a different mental illnesses that was causing it instead and other pains and problems that it caused as well. And the withdrawal, I was, the withdrawal actually gave me a weird psychosis, deluded, confused thinking and a weird adrenaline and oh, just all sorts of things, brain zaps, um, um, even to my uh, genitals as well. At, on, at withdrawal, there were points where it was actually causing my genitals to be over sensitive and eroticized and um, just doing the shopping. I'd be like ejaculating while I'm doing the shopping um, at points during, which is known as PGAD, which would be like persistent genital arousal disorder. Sometimes when people withdraw um, off of them, that can happen for a bit as well. And I was just 21. I was saying, this is not normal for my age, all this stuff going on. But obviously I knew what it was, even if the psychiatrists or doctors, whoever would say, oh, we don't believe in that. <laughs> I knew full well what was going on. And I looked up on the internet when it was happening. I was thinking, if they're just flat out denying this, and this is some nightmare that's, that's going on, then um, if they're just flat out denying it, well, let me just, um, what, what is going on? What, how little do they actually know? So I went on the internet and I looked up some of the medications that I was on. One of them they added at the adult outpatient center was one called Lyrica, in addition to the um, antipsychotics and antidepressants when I was about 19. And um, the psychiatrist there said, oh, it's been something of a wonder drug to everyone at the adult mental health patient center they've been giving it to, to. It's been something of a wonder drug. You should have it. It's been like amazing and for people. It's really helped them feel less anxious and all this stuff. Uh, so what, God knows how many other people he's given it to because it turns out now it's like a class C drug or something. Um, it's a street drug now. But um, I've never had an apology for that either. So I was withdrawing off of all of those things. I looked up some of these medications on the internet and it says they don't know how it works. Even the drug companies don't know how it works. It says it seems to work for some um, diseases or like pain or something, but they don't know exactly how or why. And then I just was in absolute fear 
real just start just realizing for the first time how little these experts and psychiatrists actually knew wow so as you're coming off these medications is when you start to ramp up your research about them yeah it it, it was hell um i was i was so the anxiety on withdrawal was so much i it was really hard to function um the brain zaps as well sometimes people call them some people refer to these kind of full body electric shock sensations when you're withdrawing somebody refer some people refer to them as brain zaps in the nice guidelines they refer to them as full of um, electric shock sensations I just um, recently interviewed a woman who uh, was also on psychiatric medications for a, a long time since early childhood I, or early teenagehood, I, if I remember correctly. Um, and it took her, if I remember correctly, a year and a half to slowly decrease the dosage on all of these meds to get off them because it wasn't like she could just quit them one day because, yeah. like you say, the, the effects are so intense and variable. I did try to cut them up. I think maybe one of the doctors or psychiatrists mentioned at some point, probably mentioned, you know, cut them up in um, and by every two weeks or something. I started doing that. Um, I think at some point you have to stop taking them anyway. You, you know, there's only small, so small you can cut them up anyway. I mean, I was 21 and it was doing that to just doing that to my dick was enough for me. And then I just found out they didn't know what they were prescribing and how these drugs work in the first place. I thought they were experts. That was just scary. I, I couldn't do anything other than I wasn't going to keep taking them. <laughs> they were making my dick go numb and not work. So then what did you do? I think I stopped taking them, I don't know, maybe I did four weeks or something of cutting them down. Then I just stopped taking them. That, that was enough. There was no, there's no way I was going to keep taking something at 21 that was making my dick go numb and not work. No way I was going to keep taking them. And they didn't know what they were prescribing. They didn't know how the drugs work or what they do. I was realizing this for the first time. Then it was where I was like, why did they do this to me? Who done it to me? And why? Like, uh, definitely felt targeted. How do you mean by that? I was specifically chosen to be uh, medicated and, and they didn't even know what they were doing. And um, so that's just abusive to child, a child with disabilities. That's just really abusive. Um, I, and I don't know, I didn't feel like I was safe. And they did make a lot of, there was a lot of money. It's very lucrative, all these industries. And they couldn't have been straight about some of these things. They were just... In reality, they were taking advantage and it was dangerous and um, no one stepped in anywhere. Yeah, there's no accountability. It really seems like you're a guinea pig as a child. Yeah, and all the other people around me weren't going through that. I mean, I was targeted. And so when you came off the medication, um, how were your OCD and your Tourette syndrome symptoms? No difference. <laughs> there was absolutely no reason to take these substances. So in retrospect, you're on these medications for a decade or so, and they had no impact on your OCD and your Tourette syndrome symptoms. That's correct. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I here think you are. They would question that as experts. You would think they would question that. 
Yeah, 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 I agree. You'd think they would. But like you mentioned earlier, um, there's a lot of money to be made. They've got egos and... They have to take care of you. Until something goes wrong, they have to take care of you. That changes very quickly. And so I discovered you on Twitter because you've become an advocate. So tell me how you became an advocate and what work you're doing. Um, I don't know how much um, I'm an advocate, but I'm definitely a, um, I definitely try and do something and act, do some kind of activism. And I advocate for certain measures to be taken, for safety measures to be taken. Um, joined the Everyday Site Victims Project, and I've tried to, it, I've interviewed a few few people that have been through the mental health system. I'm not necessarily their their advocate, but I mean, I just uh, I just try to give them a bit of a voice as well as me giving myself a voice. Um, but I've, I've done. I, there's a charity that knows and professors and uh, and psychiatrists that know about some of these things or have done some research and psychopharmacologists. There's um, one particular organisation, Risk R X I S K, that is a um, a side effect charity and they're very aware of the permanent sexual side effects of um, antidepressants both SNRI and SSRI antidepressants uh, they would they started a campaign to raise money and awareness about it so I did a marathon for that for to try and raise money for them although it's quite difficult to tell people in your everyday life, ask them, oh, can you give me money? These jokes, um, you know, my dick doesn't work because of this and this. So it was it was quite hard to fundraise. I'm not sure I actually did it, but I did it. Um, and some people didn't trust it because it's not a mainstream charity. So some people wouldn't give for that reason. But I did it and I followed through on principle. I missed all the training through injury, but I still managed to do the marathon somehow. Um, wow. Yeah. So were you a runner before you decided to do the marathon? Well, I've always been kind of athletic and um, okay at football and um, love, like, I love exercise. So, and during withdrawal, that was one of the few things. I had all this, um, my adrenaline and emotions, and obviously I needed to distract from a lot of the horrible physical symptoms that were going on as well. So a lot of the the um, ways I he held myself to get through that was, you know, going f going for a run and sprinting was something when you have adrenaline <laughs> running through your body like that, surges of adrenaline, sprinting, I don't know. I, I also learned how to sprint and I thought I never could even break into a sprint, to be honest. <laughs> so, so a lot of that helped. Um, so I had... And I started playing a lot of football. Um, my plans for my life went out the window, going through all that, to be honest. And I felt very upset about the damage to my genitals. And it, it, it affected my, I don't know, it just felt terrible. Like, it doesn't just affect your genitals, it affects how you feel and relate to the world, especially at those ages. So I started doing... I, I started playing sport, trying to not focus on that so much um, as well. So I had some experience of, when I was a kid, I always played football, um, except when I was in the mental place. 
uh, then and on drugs. I couldn't play football there, but um, yeah, sport and football prepared me somewhat. <laughs> Although I didn't, I missed all the training for the marathon. I only played football two weeks before it. The twice, uh, two, I played football twice. So I missed all the training, played football twice, and then I managed to do the marathon. But I only made it about, well, I say only, I made it 20 miles running, and then the last 10 miles, or 20 kilometers, and the last 10 was, um, was painful, painful crawling. So it was a six hour time finish, but. Um, yeah, well, anybody who's done a marathon knows how incredibly painful it is when you're trained. <laughs> yeah, when you're trained, yeah. I wasn't planning. I, I, I just was really, I was very upset. I never wanted to call it off. I kept going the training through the injury as much as I could um, up until a point where it was just like, it's just blown. My foot was blowing up more and more. There's no option. It was really against my will to pull out. Um, then I was very upset and didn't, didn't. You know, I couldn't do the training anyway, but obviously I didn't do the training from that point. And then um, it was only two weeks left to train, so I couldn't really do it then. And then I went, we'd already booked the hotel and then everyone else at the hotel was doing the marathon. And I was, and I just, you know, I asked them, can I just join in and just walk? Is that okay? Do you have to run the whole thing? And they said, oh, don't worry, like you can walk it. But obviously when you start, you start running you have to at least make it look like you're running to start off with. And once I'm, I was fully aware of when people talked about when you, if you drop the pace or stop, then it's very hard to get going again. So I just tried to keep going really. And I'm, um, there was a lot of the, there was a crowd there and music and there was kids with signs saying, hit me for power up. So, and I still had a bit of that sprinting thing in my legs. So, I don't know that that can be fun sometimes <laughs> so I kept going as far as I could anyway wow that's a great accomplishment so it sounds like exercise was really therapeutic which a lot of people find it therapeutic um, but especially important for you considering what your body was going through through the withdrawal yeah yeah my um, my um, not only was it brain zaps and my and dick not working or ejaculating randomly or the pains in my stomach that I, that hasn't gone away. Also the pains in my stomach, my digestion doesn't work anymore. There's not a day that has gone by that I'm not constipated since all that damage happened. Um, unless I have extreme food poisoning, <laughs> but I wasn't like that before that. But anyway, <laughs> I um, my mo well withdrawal um all that stuff and i'd been medicated for all that time for like i don't know 11 years most of my um all my puberty hormonal life like the only bit of my childhood or life that wasn't medicated up to that point was i started in pre-puberty i'd missed um so also my own natural physiology of being alive was just starting to come out a bit then as well my adrenaline i was having adrenaline surges um anger one minute sadness the next um uh hype being hyped the next minute um it affected my um, ability to think clearly and um i had to untangle my thoughts of confusion and delusions for like a long while as well yeah, the adrenaline and the emotions are just all over the place. And, um, that kind of goes well with exercise for some reason. It helps even out some of that stuff 
for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand how that would be helpful in sort of moderating and modulating the peaks and the valleys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how old are you now? So how long ago was that that you went through the withdrawal? That was now about, I'm nearly 30. I'm turning 30 soon. So that was about nine or eight years ago. Come near, yeah, about eight years ago. So you said before oh, that it uh, ruined your life, or that you used another word, but it really impacted the trajectory of your life. How have you dealt with that? And what's the trajectory of your life now? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, it was extremely difficult, especially in the early 20s. It was extremely difficult from 21 to go to socialize. I didn't, I was an alien and really didn't want to socialize and all the, all the things that go on and all the flirting or just people just like aware of their genitalia in the first place, that wasn't there either, um, let alone flirting. I don't know, it was, it, was, it was horrible to be the only one in the world in that situation. Um, I didn't want to socialize ever again, um, to be honest. Um, I wondered what planet I was living on. It didn't feel like the planet everyone else was living on. How did you get through that? Um, I'm not uh, fully f through it because I don't know, it's got, it's maybe got a bit easier. Um, there's less pressure and flirtation at my age of nearly 30 now than there was at 21 or 22 or 23 kind of ages. But it's still, I still often just like, I just feel kind of terrible compared to other people in a lot of those, uh, a lot of those things to do with life. That's, that's, one aspect obviously i've so i haven't fully got through that it still affects me a lot but um it affects me less than it did originally at those ages but now um i've got a lot of pains still so that obviously the digestive pains um are quite nasty as well you know i've done part-time work through um and i do part-time work um as as well when i was volunteering and doing part-time work but it's just like the social, the, the actual life aspect of my life was just always missing, which is really upsetting. Uh, um, I've done an injury to my leg now. Um, that was into two years ago. So it's going on quite, quite a while and I still can't find out what's going on. But obviously I, I can't go to work or anything because I can't. I'm limping very badly. I could barely get down the stairs this morning this is after i've had hip surgery so i'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with that either or what what's going to happen they were talking about me losing having hip replace early hip replacements and painkillers and living like that um so i'm not sure exactly what's going to happen oh so what's going on with your leg <laughs> wow. and does it have anything to do with uh, psychiatric meds they put you on and it's the pressure coming from my bowels that can't digest properly. I mean, it, um, it might have nothing to do with that. I really don't know. But it's not like anyone really spent that much effort trying to investigate the psychiatric drug damage. It was more about denying exists. And they put me off going to visit doctors in general, to be honest. So 
what are some of the strategies that you use to and that you have used to survive this long? Because what you've gone through is really uh, quite intense and such over such a long period of your life, like you say. Um, it really sounds like you must have some strategies and uh, supports that help you manage. Well, before I bust my leg, football was like still something that I can get enjoyment out of playing. I, I like watching too, but watching gets a bit old, to be honest. I like I like playing football. I like writing music on a guitar sometimes. That can be um, a bit of a get out sometimes. It's nice to do. Um, you don't necessarily have to be around other people to do that either. And I like, I've obviously, I, I then started getting into jogging as well. I do like going for the odd jog. Um, so yeah, exercise has been a big, so I, if I don't get my leg back, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm, what I'm going to do, but that's definitely exercise being a huge thing. I can't play guitar on it either. It hurts a lot, but, um, maybe, uh, I'm sure I'll be able to play guitar at some point anyway, even if I can't play football. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what's going. I need more diagnosis investigation to know what's wrong as well, really more than obviously previously when they thought it was just my hip then maybe I should have gone swimming but um, I don't know that that might have there might be other tendons or muscles snapped or whatever so I don't really know <laughs> if that would be a good idea at this stage but, um, exactly yeah a lot, a lot of different different things and good friends uh, the odd few good friends that obviously well, I could even tell what happened to me they still liked me as a human being um and yeah that 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 helped a lot too because other than that i was completely on my own and i wasn't interesting anymore to people that previously might have flirted with me i definitely wasn't interested to them anymore and people that thought i was just going for a weird differently strange or something obviously they didn't want to speak to me or people that i thought i was going through trauma or i don't know um that also push people away as well so i'm worried about other kids who may be exposed or being treated with the medications for illnesses that are not what they're prescribed for uh, and i would imagine that since you've been more public about your experience that other folks would have come forward and say yeah, i've had that experience too what has all of that been like going public and being a, an advocate and an activist? I was wary to do it, to put any, I made a blog and just like wrote some, um, wrote, wrote a bit about it and like made a video, video and then another video and, um, and then just started telling people in real life as well. Um, and I'm not necessarily an advocate for other people, but I at least try and say my experience and perspective of what is going on. And I did discover at some point, um, I, I wasn't allowed to join, there were no like groups from the adult mental um, outpatient place and they don't want patients to socialize with each other. But one of their particular concerns um, it's the same with inpatient as well, um, is they don't want patients to meet up with each other um, 
and they don't want patients to talk about medications. That's a particular reason why they don't want patients to meet each other. They don't want them to talk about medications. How um, come? Well, I'm guessing for reasons like this. So I thought I was completely on my own um, and I couldn't even go talk to other patients um, to see if I wasn't on my own. The, so I hadn't heard of, a lot of people call this post-SSRI sexual dysfunction um, or PSSD, an acronym form, uh, which means that the sexual side effects of antidepressants uh, continue after you've stopped taking them either in some form or in full form. And um, there, were, there were other people talking about this on the internet after a few years. And I guess that's when I decided as well, at some point during that, I'm, I'm gonna do something about it. It's not like life is going great for me keeping it a secret. Yeah, I made a blog and I did feel a lot better straight away in some way. I felt like at least I can do something about it. And I did feel good to know there are other people that I wasn't just completely alone. You know, I could have I could have died and taken my own life thinking I was just completely on my own if I didn't even like find that as well. Right. And I found other people that are uh, and, and that had bad experience within the mental health system as well. There's you know like there's groups um, that speak out against psychiatry and uh, friends of East London loonies. Um, there's there's various different groups, and I did one with a, with another. Um, friend I met through the internet with the Everyday Psych Victims Project. Yeah, there's there's some things out out there which people might be able to find. All right, so you found a, a community of people that have had the same horrible experiences as you have, and it sounds like you're making meaning out of your horrible experience. Yeah, I definitely don't want it to happen to anyone else, and the lack of regulation and just the the criminal well, not legally criminal, obviously, and so <laughs> they're mostly legally covered. There's no reason for it other than bank balances of pharmaceutical companies and I don't know, the careers that are set up to just have a shroud of misinformation and secrecy. I, I, it needs to stop. And, and, I, and I deserve validation as well that it's actually happened rather than to live my whole life as if it's um, some imaginary thing that isn't isn't happening. So, I know I would be really, really pissed off if I had been, since a child, treated with medications that were not appropriate for the illness I had. So, looking back, what supports or treatments do you think you should have gotten when you were nine, ten years old? Um, I don't know, to, to be around other children that were strange or weird or different or going through whatever, whatever problems they had, that was good. But the drugs are completely unnecessary. I mean, if they had done that without drugs, fine. So the living away from home was not too traumatic? It, there were positives in that and being around other kids who were also going through similar challenges? Yeah, um, that that was helpful. Um, I mean, maybe this maybe school could have been a bit more accommodating and less um, less aggressive to any child that wasn't exactly how they wanted them to be. 
But um, yeah, the 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 mental, the mental place. I mean, the staff were nice. Um, I was scared before going in because I thought everyone's going to be in white coats and they're going to do weird medical experiments, which they did. <laughs> Not that they were collecting the data on those medical experiments. I didn't find that out until much later. Obviously, the you know the staff were very nice. They're very well-meaning. Obviously, someone should have intervened and not just gone along with the whole drug everyone to oblivion thing. Uh, um, apart from that, and like the other kids going through like weird problems that they had and weird illnesses, um, that you know that that was all helpful. Mm. And how's your relationship now with your parents and your siblings? It's good, although obviously all this that has taken a chunk out of my life. Well, with my parents anyway, the relationship is good. Um, I get on well with them. Um, when I first told my dad um, on the phone, when I first, I didn't keep it a secret anymore. But when I did tell him, he said, I was always worried that this would happen. And obviously my mom was ups upset too. Like she was lied to and told these were safe. And that if there were any problems, they, um, which they still insist, they'll just go away they, they can't the medications can't have any permanent harms once they're out your system that's it you go back to normal no problems there's no risk there's, there's nothing to lose as they say um, and they still maintain that so they don't acknowledge it in any way um, so that's caused a bit of a strain and then they tried to convince obviously anyone I knew they say well what did the doctor say they said you're mad and it's not real and so then they tried to also turn my family against me to not believe me about it as well, which is when I'm very like, obviously it's something that's very upsetting to go through. So, so sometimes it's been, it's been difficult. And when I uh, went with free withdrawal through a bit of the like delusional aspects of it, it was a bit difficult to speak to my mum or my dad. Um, Cause I was, like very paranoid um so i missed out and obviously i've missed out on a lot of life from my uh siblings as well so how do you deal today how do you deal with your ocd symptoms and your Tourette syndrome symptoms uh, it's just a part of me so it's not it isn't always at its worst it's not the worst thing in the world what do you think causes OCD and Tourette's? Um, I think it's the, I, I just have a hunch that I'm listening to other parents. Um, I hear some parents talking about when their children had vaccines and then it gave their children had ticks and stuff when they were a baby very shortly after vaccinations. So um, for all I know, there's a lack of research on vaccinations as well. So that's my hunch. Um, I, I don't know for sure. Well, Daryl, uh, it's been incredible talking to you. I can't believe you've survived what you have survived and um, that you're making meaning out of your horrible experience so that others can maybe avoid that for their children or for themselves or just the general awareness of what SSRIs can do is so helpful. No, thank you very much. Well, 
thanks to Daryl Brown for sharing his personal experience with post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. No doubt some listeners will be having the same experiences as Daryl. Know that you are not alone. There are many, many people with the same struggle with sexual dysfunction and with disbelieving doctors. As Daryl said, there are a number of online support and groups tackling this issue, and I've included the links in the show notes. But here are two that Daryl mentioned. For more information about post-SSRI sexual dysfunction, go to risk.com. And they spell risk, R-X-I-S-K, dot com. The other one that Daryl mentioned is called the Everyday Psych Victims Project. And their website is psychvictims.com. And it's a platform to show the world the rights violations, discrimination, and harm that is done by the, quote, mental health, unquote, field. You can also check out Daryl's blog at pssdblog.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others.